Turn right. Re-re-re-recalculating. Man, this goofy bitch don't know where she's going. From the Lost Boys. Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. Lost Boys. Boys. Legendary Lost Boys. This is Lost Boys. We call them the Lost Boys. Lost Boys. I know we're not lost. Oh, you knew that yesterday, too. We're lost, but we're making good time. This is the way, guys. I can feel it. And now, the Lost Boys Podcast proudly presents... The History of Hip-Hop. Welcome, everybody. This is Hip-Hop History 101, where we dive deep into the culture of hip-hop, from where it's been to where it's going and how it got there. Uh, last episode, we were covering the set, well, 60s and 70s of hip-hop, but this week, we are getting into the 80s. So this is going to be quite an adventure. There's a lot of moving parts and pieces and evolution that's happening here in the 80s. Um, so we were, I think we're going to do a little different this week and kind of take you year by year so we can kind of hit some of the most notable, memorable events, you know, stuff that was really uh, breaking ground or just notable in some sense. But uh, I am one of your hosts, Ghost T, and joining me as always, Biatch. We got Night Prophet over here. Ooh, I love it. I love it. That was a little spoiler. <laughs> I think I, I recognize where that came from. Yeah. That's definitely some 80s. West Coast representing with Night. I got East Coast locked down. Deep into it. And uh, yeah, we going to fucking let this shit rock. Yo, I, I just got to say right off the bat, too. This is, I mean, I love hip hop. I've loved hip hop for, for a long time, as you heard from our first episode, but this is giving me a totally newfound respect and love on a deeper level too. Just doing all this research, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning so much. And I, I had previously thought that I was pretty well versed in a lot of hip hop, but uh, right. I mean, it turns out it's just like an endless well, man. You know, <laughs> it never stops. Yeah, it's fucking nuts, man. It's fucking crazy. Um, and let me say right off the bat, though, is I made a little mention. Last week about how uh, it was a Beastie Boy, how how kind of NWA was a little influenced by the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. I found the recordings from CIA, which was Ice Cube's first band, which we talked about last week. Bro, that I I, I gotta say I love Ice Cube a lot, and he always this is people biting his style and all this other stuff. He was straight up biting Beastie Boys. <laughs> through that whole thing i don't know if you had a chance to listen to any cia yeah i did it's straight up beastie boys man it's like it's almost like they're they're copying it like not word for word but style for style it's so like influenced it's crazy yeah i don't i mean they weren't too big you know so i don't think that sound was very uh no. was doing too well for them yeah no, no no that didn't work that didn't work he, he quickly changed the style and it worked out a lot yes. better yeah but it was just so funny listening to there's there like three songs out there from the cia um uh i guess it was like a little ep or something they dropped but it was just like oh my god that, they're they're just straight up ripping off beastie boys it's insane uh-huh. and then they sampled some beastie boys in those songs too so it's kind of funny weird Thing. But I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there because that was one of the funniest things during the week when I was just uh, digging through shit. And I was like, holy shit, man. I didn't realize it was that deep of an influence. But uh, right. yeah, I don't know. That was freaking wild. 
but then um, it was like th- their sound definitely changed when I uh, sent you that song last week um, called uh, She's a Skag. Cube met Dre, but Dre, they weren't even yep. going by Cube or Dre. They were going by their real names. But like you can kind of tell, like their the whole style of the you know crew oh, yeah. in action and oh um, my god, the what was the other crew? Um, <laughs> uh, world class work, yeah, world world class wrecking crew. Yeah, that was a listen, totally different style. Totally dude. different. I listening to that, it was it was just a perfect fusion because after listening to yeah some wrecking crew shit which was much more r&b smooth you know chill and then you had ice cubes cia crazy hype party style beastie boy style and then yeah the, it was just a fusion man putting those two opposites together and then bringing in you know easy and everybody else yella it, it, it was god that band really it, oh and, and everybody Watch straight out of Compton if you haven't yet, because that is such a great movie. It really is uh, a, a quintessential must-see hip-hop movie. Yeah, they did good with that one. Yeah, that was definitely uh, top tier, top notch. Good shit, good shit. Uh, but let's get right into it then. I do actually. Uh, I know we're going into the '80s, but there's a couple things from uh, the '79. It's the last year of the '70s, but I just got to throw it in there. Because um, I either didn't notice or I just found this out this week, but I might not notice last week. But um, on March 25th, 1979 was actually the first rap record that came out. I, I had always thought in my mind it was Sugar Hill, Rapper's Delight. That was the first album that was pressed and then got popular and everything. But before that, uh, Fat Bat, Fat Back Band Dude, I, well, I, I, all right. It was the Fatback Band was the name of the band. King Tim the Third Personality Jock is the name of this round. It's not that catchy. Okay. Hard to hard to even fucking say. And I'm reading it right yeah. off the paper. All right, y'all. Here we go. You just clap your hands and you stomp your feet because you're listening to the sound of the show shot beat. I'm the K I N G the T I M King Tim the Third, and I am him. Just me, Fatback, and the crew. We're doing it all. We're strong as an ox and tall as a tree. We can rock it so viciously. We throw the hives in your eyes, the bass in your face. We're the funk machines that rock the human race. Skate down, boogie shot. Come on, girl, let's do the rock. Slam dunk, do the jerk. Let me see your body work. To the beat, everybody. To the beat, everybody. 
um, I don't know, but I just want to throw that tidbit out there um, because that's actually the first true one. And I think I said last week that it was uh, Rapper's Delight. So I was wrong. I'm correcting myself on the spot. Luckily. But all right. Uh, but 80s. OK, let's get into the 80s. All right, you guys go ahead. What do you got for the '80s over uh, West Coast ways? Well, um, I kind of hip hop ended on like the very top, uh, the very beginning of '80s last episode, which was Captain Rap, and yeah, that true. was okay. that was really we like the beginning of the okay. West Coast '80s scene. So, um, uh, mine doesn't start till like '83. You got anything okay. before that I'll, on the East I'll, Coast? I'll, I'll squeeze in. Oh yeah, I'll squeeze okay. in some shit because this uh, the first one actually encompasses hip hop all around but 1980 was the year that the roland tr 808 drum machine was released now it was an immediate commercial failure this thing did not work on the market musicians were out there saying it sounded too robotic too too fake is kind of where they were leaning so it did not sell at all but what that meant was that this was all over used music shops, you know, instrument shops, whatever. So yeah, this was going shop. cheap. Yeah, this was going cheap as fuck. And uh, which made it a very easy way to slip it, uh, into the hip hop world. And uh, they kind of took that sound and ran with it and made it a staple in hip hop. Because, they're, you know, they're, they're still using that 808 bass drum sound. In almost, it actually made a resurgence because there was a while I think uh, that 808 wasn't as popular. But I listened to some newer stuff all around, and that's all you get. There's, there's 808s everywhere again. It's kind of it's kind of nice and refreshing. I do love the 808. But uh, yeah, so in 1980 was uh, the 808 released, and then that obviously changed hip hop in a lot of ways. Um, I had a couple other 80s things. Blondie's Rapture. Oh, you know what? I think that's actually 81, but uh, I'll throw it out there. But Blondie was like this punk new wave band um, with the singer Debbie Harry, blonde white chick. She's actually the first person to technically come out with a rap video uh, that debuted uh, August 1981 on MTV. I guess she always hung out in a lot of these New York clubs. She got down with Fab Five Freddy, who was down with, you know, Grandmaster Flash. And it was just in that in that culture, in that time, in that era, in that place. And um, so they collaborated and she came out with the song Rapture.
that was technically the first rap video ever made by some white chick believe it or not damn who would have thought who would have freaking thought um all right, I'll, well, I'll keep it in 1981 now i actually played this at the very end of our last episode so if you want to hear this check out episode two of hip-hop history and uh you will hear the cool modi versus busy b battle that happened at harlem world in 1981 this was uh it was it was a passing of the torch so to speak where you could hear the the changing of the guards in hip hop where you had Busy B yes yes y'all come on y'all get on the floor y'all everybody now get down and he's just you know more more crowd chanting back and forth than anything he had a couple lines here and there he was talking about fast food <laughs> oh you did Dude, listen I'm, all right oh like, my god i love everybody it, bro. love blippies blippies at mcdonald's can i get a wendy's yeah that, <laughs> dude yeah he was losing it all right but uh so he goes on does his thing and then if you you heard the battle cool modi comes in and just obliterates obliterates him right am, am i right with this? the funk Oh my god, dude! He hit him I hard. Was like, like, like his lines aren't cons- wouldn't be considered like you know like a bad diss nowadays. But too, yeah, compared to it. what Busy uh, B did right before that, it was like, oh my god, this <laughs> dude got annihilated, right? Yeah, it was a good one, dude. That was a good battle. Yeah. Oh my god, it's it's just one of those battles. Um, it was like a style of uh, it was like change, a, a change in style in one battle. In one battle, like, exactly. Like it was you the could perfect, see the pivot of hip hop. <laughs> you could see it right there. Exactly. Yeah. It's so beautiful for that alone. You could see the yeah, just the the way that it was going to evolve. It just right there in that battle, it just jumped up another level. Everyone saw that and is like, oh my god! All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Now we're getting into something real. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So so do yourself a favor if you haven't checked that out yet. Check that out in our last episode, or just look it up on YouTube or something. But the Cool Mo D versus Busy B battle is one you should know. I will say, quoting Mike D. But um, uh, all right. That's I didn't have that much else for '81. I think I'm. Uh, let me see any good albums because I had an album list too with some of the notable albums. Uh, Curtis Blow dropped an album in 91. Sugar Hill Gang dropped like their second album in 91 or 81. Um, but nothing really crazy came out of there. All right, 82. You said you start 83, right? Yep. All right, I got one more thing for 82 then. Perfect. And honestly, this is something we talked about last week too, so I won't go too deep into that. But this is when Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five released The Message which was pushed yep. by i talked about their producer uh, or the uh, record owner record the uh, label owner of sugar hill records sylvia robinson pushed them to do reality rap and then came out with the message which was another huge turning point because that's when hip-hop realized it could get real we could talk about real shit you know i think it opened a lot of minds just making them say man this art form you can talk about anything, you know? Yeah. And be like uh, a journal. Many rappers did, yeah. And uh, it took off from there, and that just added another great flavor to hip-hop in general. Um, so, yeah, that was a that was well, probably one of the biggest things out of 82. Uh, album-wise, uh, another Curtis Blow album. Man, he was dropping an album a year for a while there, it looks like. Um, 
And he blew up too. He had uh, oh shit, where when was that? He actually was the first rapper to go gold with his single uh The Breaks, which is another famous uh song in hip hop. I don't know if you ever heard the breaks. But um, I'm sure I'll have it. But uh, yeah, that was that was a good song too. Uh, but all right, so let's go into '83. What is happening on the west coast of the country in 1983? Okay, so um, I'm gonna start with uh, Oakland. So okay. in Oakland, uh, at the time in uh, the early '80s, it was actually. Um, ruled by this drug lord named felix mitchell was his name Mm. and he was a pimp and so he provided like all of northern california with like drugs all the way up to the top of california down like to like bakersfield which is just above like la right and um he had a gang called mob or my other brother and or they called them a six nine mob because they were on 69th avenue and uh these projects down in oakland so too short and his buddy freddie b what they did was they had made all these tapes with uh songs on them and uh they called them special requests and what they did with them was they sold them out of their trunk and they also went to drug dealers in a six nine mob and told them to distribute their tapes to oh you know hood oh, people <laughs> so essentially what they did was That's they 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 gave strategy. it to yeah so they were like <laughs> hey well these guys are masters of getting rid of product so what we'll do is we'll give them our tapes and say hey give this to all your homies and they just like kind of erupted from there and it kind of changed um the entire like northern california scene damn um, that's crazy and because like the (laughs) the gang leader was a big pimp it was a big part of the culture so that's why too um too short is really into if you listen to his lyrics he's all about pimping and being a player right so uh Mm -hmm. oh yeah yep and he was kind he was credited as the first artist to use the word bitch in his uh songs really so yeah and i don't um, know i'm I might have to contest that. I mean, I don't know off the top, but that, right. that sounds like there would be something that said bitch. That, well, maybe not. Wait, was he in this gang, though? Too sure? Um, no, he was not. Okay. So he was um, not really a gangster, dude. He was, he was, uh, he was about women. Just, just fucking. He, yeah, he was just yeah. chasing girls and okay. making music. That was his thing. Um, I did read that uh, he grew up as a, a drummer. So oh, get the fuck he, out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So he is like definitely musically inclined and um had some background in music and just uh fell in love with hip hop. So um yeah, he started releasing albums in eighty three with yeah, 83. Uh, Don't, Don't Stop, stop rapping. rapping. Yes. And the record label is called Seventy Five Girls. 
I was shocked uh, to see that Too Short's first album did come out in 83 because he was ahead of so many dudes who I put there as, you know, great groundbreakers. Um, So I'm I'm impressed. I didn't yet, but that's on my list to listen to this week for sure um, because I want to check out what that early first uh, Too Short uh, sounded like. Did you have a chance to listen to that? Or you might already have the fucking vinyl, bro. I I love Too Short, man. I've listened to everything Too Short. You heard it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Is that good? Do you recommend Um, it? Yeah. And then I think think it re-released under a different label later. So um, you can definitely um, listen to it somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Oh, I um, yeah, I'm I knew I could find it. If not, I'd just hit you up, bro. But yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I was definitely shocked to see uh two shirt on there. Um but that's that's freaking awesome. Um but yeah, selling cassettes out the trunk, dude. No, I mean that's brilliant having your dealers just just push the product, push the right. music too. I mean, that is kind of clever. Makes me wonder more about like the that 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 kind of uh that might be a microcosm of how Suge started running things then uh, as we get Later on into the nineties, <laughs> right? A couple weeks, so we'll talk about that too. But um, God, that's fucking wild, man. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know what's the whole gang. Thing. What was the name of the gang again? Mob, 60. my other oh, brother, my other brother. Yeah, yeah. and then they okay. also went by like uh, Six Nine Mob. Okay, I'll have to do some research into that too. Um, Dude, uh, there's a pretty good documentary that came oh, out about it know. from. BET years back, it was called okay. American Gangster Felix Mitchell. Felix Mitchell, I'm writing it down. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll I'll continue on from here because like uh, my next thing is same same year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got some '83 stuff too. Then, but uh, yeah. What else we got? What else we okay. got? Out with? Um. So the next uh would be Ice T, and this was parallel to Too Short, right? So Ice T coming out of uh. LA area and he same thing was into the pimp culture and uh what happened how he really got into it was he actually went into the military and he oh, served like two years in the military and he was stationed in Hawaii and um this was the late 70s that okay. he was in the military so uh when he was stationed out in Hawaii he had met uh, this guy out there in Hawaii called Mac because the prostitution scene in Hawaii in the 80s, in like 70s and 80s was crazy, dude, because it was a, okay. a big military place, right? Oh, okay. So, a lot of money. Um, 
Yeah, no, for sure. It was a big thing. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, the, our military and like the Southeast Asian countries, right? Like a oh, lot sure, of prostitution yeah. took off in those areas too. So, so um, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, Ice-T had read this book called um, Pimp the Story of My Life, which is one of my personal favorite books of all time. And it's written by a guy named Iceberg Slim or oh, okay. Robert Beck. Okay. Yeah. So, um, he was a pimp that uh, grew up in Chicago in the in the Great Depression, and it was like a big influence on a lot of um, you know um, black culture. It, th- this sure. book was sold in uh, actually sold in liquor stores back in the day, so a lot of people got their hands on this book because of where it was sold. And um, smart marketing too. It's good marketing yes, in this business for sure, dude. Yeah, <laughs> drugs and, and bitches, drugs and pimps just fucking moving this shit. Okay, like hip hop is on a fast track right now. Oh, shit. Um, so he read this book and he met this guy Mac out in Hawaii, and he had made some quotes about Iceberg Slim, and that guy Mac was like pretty impressed about it, and he goes, "Hey, well, dude, I could teach you how to pimp." So he actually learned how to pimp in Hawaii while he was in the military. And um, he was able to get an honorable discharge because he was a single father. So he went back to L.A. to take care of his daughter. And this was like 82 now. And um, he met uh, this guy named Willie Strong. And then from there, in 1983, they recorded Ice-T's first single called uh, Cold Wind Madness or... The coldest rap is what it's referred as. And so 83, um, Ice-T, coldest rap. That's his first single. Didn't really gain a whole lot of traction. And um, it didn't get a lot of play because he actually had pretty hardcore lyrics. Because he was coming from like his pit background. Y'all, 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 please, please, please check it out. I'm a player. I'm always clean. I rode Mercedes Benz when I was 17. From the moon to the tomb, I run my game. Cause I'm cold as ice, and I show no shame. The ladies say that I'm heaven sent. Close, I got more money than the U.S. Mint. I ride ragtop rolls with rocks on my hand. Maserati and Mercedes. I have an ocean line, private jet. Bel Air boogies place my bets. I own islands off the coast of France, and I wear designer. And when I was brought into this world, my mama never asked. I was a boy or a girl, plus I rolled over to her and gave her a kiss. She said, yo daddy don't rock me like this. When the doctor put me on the behind, I broke on down with a funky rhyme. The nurses said I was awfully cute when I played at the joint in a three-piece suit. Y'all, 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 please, please, please check it out. Cause I'm a player, I'm always clean. I rode Mercedes Benz when I was 17. From the womb to the tomb, I run my game I'm cold as ice And I show no shame that was um, pretty much what Ice-T did up to 83. He kind of like uh, resurfaced in the mid-80s. So um, maybe you want to take it from from 83 here? We'll get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, East Coast-wise, we were definitely getting a lot of uh, the uh, representation of the four pillars. We're talking DJ, MC, graffiti, and breakdancing. Um, two movies came out that really uh pushed hip-hop into the mainstream culture we had wild style was released which i talked a little bit about last week but 
that came out in 83 um and that had like fab five freddy who i was just talking had a lot of mcs in there uh, cold crush brothers grandmaster flash was in there and speaking of busy b he's uh, he's in there too but it's just a, a perfect like uh uh, snapshot of the times so it, it's that's what i still highly recommend wild style um now there's another one that is i guess people say this is fucking a groundbreaking documentary that came out i've never seen this one so this is one i have to dig for but on pbs um of all places there was a documentary called style wars and it breaks down like a lot of the graffiti crews and breakdancing crews, but it does have, you know, just a lot of hip hop elements in there, the music and MC and stuff. Um, it's the first place that the famous breakdancing crew Rocksteady got recognition and, and got uh, some fame out of that. But it, apparently this documentary really breaks down the culture. And again, it's just one of those things. It's just a perfect window in time to, to watch and, and see how it was all going down and happening. Um, on the streets of uh, New York, mostly. but uh, so I gotta check that out, and uh, I, I'll recommend it just based on the praise I'm seeing for it. So Style Wars. Um, the other thing I had in '83, just a little nugget here, but two guys, one guy named Russell Simmons and another guy named Rick Rubin, who was going to NYU, and he had a dorm there. They founded. They just just laid the brickwork, at least, but they founded Def Jam. They had this idea to start a record company. Russell Simmons was down and worked with Curtis Blow a lot. So they wanted to kind of start something, you know, that could highlight him. But then they went in a totally different direction. Um, But that was the uh, original foundation of Def Jam Records out of Rick Rubin's dorm room in NYU. And uh, they found a couple other fellas as well. And, um, in that area, who I, which I'll talk about uh, next year in '84. But so uh, I just wanted to lay that out there that uh, it was '83 when that started officially, which is uh, you know, Def Jam kind of changed a couple things here and there. A little bit, yeah. They had a little bit of an impact <laughs> on the industry, man. Yeah, a little bit. Like, yeah, know, I recognize they, those names. They worked up hip hip hop a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's all I got for '83. Um, you didn't have anything else 83 wise, right? Nope. All right, we're going to 84, baby. Let's keep this moving. All right, what, what's happening out west in 1984? Um, so this guy, um, named Frank Williams, all right, Frank Williams okay. went by the name of Mixmaster Spade. Hmm, okay, and he is considered one of the first gangster rappers and um it's worth noting that he attended school in new york in the late 70s and he went to a park one day and saw a dj spinning in new york probably cool hurt I had probably, you know, I, they don't, they didn't list what name, but he was like, what the fuck is that? And I want to learn how to do that. So he ended up learning how to DJ out in New York, um, being Compton born and, uh, was, you know, going, um, just going to school out there. So he returns to the LA scene and, um, you know, there really wasn't any gangster rap going on. But he was loving hip hop and he was from Compton. 
And um, I think everybody knows the history of how nice of a neighborhood Compton is. And so, uh, <laughs> growing you up get straight out of there, I yeah. Know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. I think that's the same. Something yeah. along. <laughs> yeah. Got to have cash to make it these days. You can make it illegal a hundred different ways. You go to the main and get an eight track. Spend three hundred dollars, you make seven hundred back. You can stand in the street. Holler and wine, but it's all about the man and the dollar sign. I mean, it's crazy out here, it ain't no more fun. I can't walk down the street without my gun. You see, I know this girl, her name was Little Bo Peep. Started hitting the pipe, had to sell her sheep. And not to mention my freak, her name is Red Ride Hood. She smoked primos cause she thought it tastes good. What about the wolf in this fairy tale? He od don't come, died and went to hell. Old gray hair, granny ain't here no more. She OD'd on M from 4. You think that's bad? Well, that ain't all. We all going down drinking nasty A-ball. This girl named Sue came to visit you. She bought her pipe and her cocaine too. I said, what's up, Sue? Can you cope? She said, forget that stuff. I just want to smoke. You go get the pipe and you go get the cane. And I'll just fire it up and think. And everybody get back while the strike the match. Her eyes got bigger and her face turned black. The flames got bigger, then higher, higher. The neighbors walking by thought it was a fire. I can remember when Sue was dead. Now she got more money than the government. Riding around in her Mercedes Benz. Smoking cocaine with all her friends. Well, she smoked the rock here. She smoked the rock there. She smoked the rock with the mama cause the price was fair. But remember this, you little dope dealer man. You better save some cash while you can. Cause the policeman is having a fit. Jacking all cars with bumper kids to the beach, y'all. You just don't stop. A mix match a spade and I'm ready to ride. So, yeah, growing up in Compton, West Coast guy, um, learns about hip hop and uh, uh, turntablism in New York City late late 70s. Comes back to the West Coast and he um, starts forming a group called the Compton Posse. And this was like really the first mix of gangsters, like real gangsters and hip hop. Like these guys were from the hood and he had, um, you know, the other guys were Toddy T and King T. So, um, King T sounds familiar as fuck. Well, yeah, King on. T is, uh, considered, you know, like a, like a godfather of West coast. Okay. Hip-hop. Okay. Okay. So you, right, you right. for sure heard the name. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so that's where his origins are from right here is this mixed master spade group, uh, the Compton posse and Yeah. They released uh, several singles, um, Just Say No, Genius Is Back, uh, and Gangster Boogie. So that's kind of like where uh, gangster rap started to get its, uh, um, you know, ball rolling right here. It's like the the mid uh, 80s, early to mid 80s. Now, was there a lot of gangster talk on these records, like lyric wise? Have you gone back and listened or checked any of that stuff out? Because I'm curious. About yeah, there is definitely for sure. They're really so they're definitely brushing along, man. And that is early as shit. Because even... even that early Ice T stuff wasn't very. Yeah. It wasn't very gangster. It was still you. There were still hints of that electro hip hop in it, if you know what I'm talking about. Like that '83. We still hadn't really evolved yet in the right, on the West yeah. Coast. Okay. So, um, Damn. yeah, Mixmaster Spade, dude. 
Um, he hit, some of his stuff was actually kind of hard to find online. Um, it was kind of oh, okay. It was it was a little thin. I was surprised, man. But um, yeah, yeah I saw lots that, of mentions. Get that page like six on the Google search. <laughs> yeah, right. Just yeah, to get a little nugget. All right, that's crazy, man. Um, it was popping on the East Coast, man. They, uh, I just mentioned that these two guys, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons, started this company called Def Jam. Well, 84 is when they started dropping albums under the Def Jam label. So, uh, T. LaRock's song called It's Yours. Description giving, adjective expert, analyzing some of the musical myths, seeking people of the universe. This is yours. It's yours. Do you like it? Yeah. Do you want it? Yeah. Well, if you had it, would you flaunt it? Yeah. Well, it's yours. Taking a record that's already made with the help of Um, I think Nas famously sampled is probably the most place people would hear that. It's yours. So that song came out in 84. But what really launched and kicked Def Jam off was this uh this this uh this other guy. Uh Todd James, something like that. I don't know. LL Cool J. Or wait, James Todd. Wait, what's his name? James Todd. Ladies love Cool James. Ladies love Cool James. Yes, just had to repeat it in my mind. But uh, his album, I Need a Beat, came out. Or it might have been the single. Um, so LL Cool J dropped. And I do have some deep trivia on LL Cool J here, which relate to uh, some of my favorite artists. Let me take it back just a little, because when they were starting Def Jam, working on this thing, Rick Rubin, especially, was hanging out with these wild punk kids from New York uh, called the Beastie Boys before they were anything. They were, well, they were the Beastie Boys doing punk rock, hardcore punk rock music. But uh, if you heard Rick Rubin, he likes to clash rock, rap, he likes to mix genres up, he's all about everything. So he really enjoyed these guys, and they hung out with him a lot, they hung out with him in the dorm room and all this stuff. Um, and this is a fact here that once they started the label, It's Yours was out in shows. They started getting demo tapes in from up and aspiring artists who wanted to, you know, get on a label, get a record out there. Um, Ad Rock was going through the box of demo tapes, said to Rick, Yo, yo, you gotta get this guy in here. Put the tape down of LL Cool J. So LL Cool J owes Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys his career. Because out of this box of fucking demo tape, that's the one he chose. Gave it to Rick. They got, they brought him in. They started working on beats and lyrics and songs. LL Cool J became a phenomenon, especially in the early 80s. 
But uh, so yeah, it was thanks to Ad Rock that that That's ever so even cool. happened, bro, bro. Uh, another little bit of trivia there with Run uh, with Russell Simmons. They run DMC. They um, run Joseph Simmons is Russell Simmons' brother. So he was able to get put on pretty easily. I mean, they had a good group, but with Rick Rubin producing, uh, the appeal was huge. By the end of 84, their self-titled album was certified gold. So the whole rock rap thing was really, uh, the influence was out there, and it was starting to get more mainstream. It was reaching out into the suburbs. But, uh, I mean, Run DMC were fucking great, though, man. I mean, they were... Doing their damn thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, they were. They got hot quick. Oh my god! Yeah, they stayed hot pretty good for a good while. Good while. Um, uh, the only other thing I had for '84 was that the. Uh, do you know anything about any of the Roxanne Roxanne Wars? No, I don't. So there was a little group called UTFO. That uh, released a song called Roxanne Roxanne, which got some good airplay. And um, they were supposed to be on, uh, UTFO was supposed to be on Mr. Magic's radio show. But they canceled at the last minute. So I think she might have worked for the station or she was a friend of them. But there was this girl named Lolita Shante Gooden. Who um, they were? They were just like they were so pissed off. They were like going off on the air about about them canceling and all this shit. Um, so this girl recorded a revenge song called Roxanne's Revenge. She said she was. Uh, they, she took the name Roxanne Shante. She was going on how she was the real Roxanne. They were answering the story. It was going back and forth, uh, but they just wanted to diss them, and so that they didn't get as much play or, or you know they weren't taken seriously. Because it's out, because the song Roxanne Roxanne was starting to take off on the charts, and then you had this radio personality who was like attacking this song. They didn't want it to do good, so they came out with this revenge song, this just wild story. And then um, UTFO dropped a, you know, an answer song to that, and then Roxanne Shantae made another song. So this technically at least on wax was one of the first recorded battles that uh, started there in 84 and everyone, once this thing started going off, it was drawing attention because you could see that some of these uh, battles were, were, I mean, obviously you had in the clubs on the streets, the battles were going on, but now that the appeal was becoming more people all over, we're seeing this happening and, they had about 30 to 100, they said, just artists who were making Roxanne quote unquote songs, just trying to like get heard and get on and ride that bandwagon. And um, Roxanne Shante eventually got involved in some of the like Juice Crew stuff with BDP. It was a whole thing there. But a lot of beefs and battles were starting there too as we get into the mid 80s. Ooh, some shit talking starts, huh? Oh, I'm telling you getting hot and heated but that's pretty much all i have for 84 um 85 i'm gonna say real quick 85 that's when schooly d's uh psk was released yep and we talked about that last week so i'm curious to hear a follow-up um because that's when you were saying that 
Ice T heard that and was influenced heavily on that. Yep, and that that was uh that's perfect, dude. Because I was actually just about to pick back up on Ice T because like it was eighty five when he changed his style. Um, according, you know, um, from Schoolie D's song, like in yep. like response, right? So here that uh PSK and um he loved that song so what he did was he wrote a song called six in the morning, in the morning yeah <laughs> so um it has and the same like that. cadence almost too very similar yeah he made that on a roland tr 808 ah, so beautiful it all comes around Yep, so that was where he really um, changed his style and was really down with the whole gangster scene Control the hard hip hop beat, but just living in the city is a serious task. Didn't know what the cops wanted, didn't have time to ask. you know um compton posse was like like you know right there at the same you know kind of like the same time they were still all making music around that same time but it was like just starting to evolve into gangster rap for a lot of people here well you know what it kind of relates to as i was saying like the first actual rap record was the fatback band that Mm -hmm. came out before uh sugar hill gang so that might be similar thing compton posse was out there doing it but Ice T, but Ice T got the recognition, got the recognition, got the yeah. So, so, but yeah, but yeah, it's still shocking to hear that it was so early that it was growing into its own thing. Because you think again, even Ice T gets outshined if you're looking at it at a base level, like oh, gangster rap that started with NWA, you know? That's right? What most yeah, people would just look at it because like, I mean, but... it was really right after this Ice T phase or this Ice T part that it just gangster rap like exploded Blew up. you know oh my God. yeah 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 because we're creeping right right around that time um mm-hmm. all right but yeah anything else you got in 85 that's it for uh 80 um up to the mid 80s for me okay on the west coast that was really what was going down um the only other thing i had and it was just to note here this is when uh, 85 is when Run DMC dropped their other album too, King of Rock, their second album, which again, it just added more of those rock and rap elements that were wild and uh, again, showed you what you could do with the music. Um, Schooly D's first album came out. World Class Wrecking Crew, I think their first album that came out was in 85. I did have that listed. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think this was, was 85. It w- yeah, yeah, it was 85 because then uh, the next year, 86, is when the Ice Ice Cube and Dr. Dre did that first uh, She's a Skag track. Yeah, 86 is when things really start blowing up. Um, and let's see. Ooh, are we doing um, This Week in Hip Hop? 
Oh, we are doing this week in hip hop. <laughs> All right, there were some things popping off. All right, um, oh shit, oh shit, it's, it's popping off West Coast right off the bat. All right, mm-hmm. so uh, we got Snoop Dogg born October twentieth, nineteen seventy one. Right off the bat, happy oh birthday! My God. The birth of a Snoop. legend. Now, I didn't, I didn't see that it was. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't know it was. Today, but I'm right. gonna have to smoke a blunt this after the show. Oh my god, I'm doing it now, bro. So I'm all fucked up. Alright, uh Easy E released the EP. It's on It's on Dr. J. So this, is this when he was going after Dre? It was okay. Yep. Okay. I see I lost some of that. Some of that. I only heard like the main joints in the battles between like NWA and Ice Cube. I know that there was beef, but I didn't know he put a Dre disc up there. Is this shit good? No. <laughs> Released on October nineteenth. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a crazy uh, <laughs> easy, easy E solo career fan. I'm yeah, I'm totally with you, man. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not really an easy fan at all. Like I said, I, I mean, I, I think ninety percent of his shit was ghostwritten, right? Or yeah, I think I think the cube get, lyrics carried his ass, dude. Oh my god, no doubt about it. And to even say that, like I was thinking about that. Ice Cube writes the rhymes that I say. I mean, yeah. why, why is that a lyric? You know, Ice Cube put that in there just so he, so he, he could get the probably recognition. Didn't think about them breaking up, dude. And he probably you know? didn't even like realize he was saying it. Yeah, no, bro. But that's just the like, like I don't know. Because to to me, all right. Because all right, I do hip hop, right? I make I yep. make hip hop. I like writing lyrics. Like writing lyrics are are one of my passions. And if I'm putting it out there as a ghost T track. That's fucking written by Ghost T. You know, yeah. it's just in my mind as an artist, it's hard to just like, how, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, once you start making money like that, reading other, right, singing other people's shit, rapping other people's shit, maybe it's a whole different story. And maybe I would sell out in a heartbeat for something like that. But right now, I just can't fathom that. It kind of like hurts my heart thinking that they just don't care enough. Just be like, eh, okay. I don't know. It's a, it's a thing. <laughs> Pisses me off. All right, no, this you gotta listen to. This came out uh, October nineteenth in nineteen ninety nine. Handsome boy modeling school. You ever heard of this thing? This is one of my favorite albums of bro, all time. Oh, get out of here! I, I love swear you, bro. to God, Dan the Automator and Prince Paul and Prince are like Paul, yeah. legit. Uh, um this is this is one of my underestimate you too much i'm sorry bro. but yes this is such a great album it's not even yes. really hip-hop really you know what i mean it's yeah more like a experiment to be honest but uh yes. yeah it, you know yeah. i you're i probably surprised you a little bit because we haven't even got to you know talk about like underground hip-hop yet oh my god but dude like nice. underground hip-hop was like I went crazy deep on underground hip hop, and I I just went everywhere and looked for everything. You know, oh, that's so uh, handsome boy modeling school is is one of my top ones for sure. Yes, it's um, so good. Dude, you know, like uh, dude, always like the De La Soul songs, and oh my god, dude. Did you ever uh, listen to Psychoanalyze? Prince Paul's um, first like technical solo experience. no i did not bro okay so ah, what drew homework me, what drew me to this was uh dan the automator dan actually the automator. Okay, so yeah yeah 
It's a perfect fusion. Well, if you mm-hmm. did like any of the Prince Paul stylings from that or De La Soul type stuff that he worked with, um, Psychoanalyze, it's that it's a crazy okay. ass experimental hip hop esque. It's it's kind of along these lines, but it's just um, I don't even know how to quantify it. It's weird, <laughs> but it's fun. Uh, I definitely recommend that Psychoanalyze and he also came out with a, um, uh, a story album so it was a concept album where the whole thing is a story he has a lot of featured artists on there who do different tracks that are like different scenes in a movie and you follow this story of these two rappers that are trying to be up and coming and then yeah, I don't want to spoil anything because it is actually a decent story but um, um, I would say to check that out. And uh, what's the name of it? Tell me, because I forget. Is it Prince Among Thieves? <laughs> Prince Among Thieves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Check out Prince Among Thieves because it's 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 a uh, hip hop rock. I think he wanted it, he wanted it to be dubbed because it's so it fits hip hop. Yeah, it's thirty five songs. It yeah, sounds it's, like it's a story, wild. dude. That's wild. cool. And, and the cool Keith song on there is one of my favorites. But he has like Daylaw on there and shit. I think they're prisoners at one point in there when you get to prison or something. I don't know. If that happens, it might not happen. No, no spoilers. Um, but yeah, so the, so I'm more on the Prince Paul side of the handsome boy thing, but definitely, okay. yeah. um, yeah, definitely recommend those two things. Um, but MF Doom. Operation Doomsday. Ooh, that's a banger too. Fuck, what a week! Nineteen ninety-nine. Holy shit! Wait a minute. Same day the fucking Internal Affairs dropped. Oh, and Handsome Boy. Oh, same day, same year. That's fucking wild. That was a good day. Oh, all three of these dropped on the same. Holy shit! I didn't realize when you said that you meant same day, exact same day. That's wild. Um. But yeah, I mean, I I, I hope, uh, I mean, he is maybe a little more underground or less known than he should be, but uh, I'm sure most people have heard of Doom, and if you haven't, yeah, this is the great starting spot. This is when he did his first solo album, um, whereas he used to be in KMD as Zev Love X, but uh, this dude was a phenomenon in hip-hop. Brought a whole new styling and energy and storytelling and just vibe. So, Doom was that dude. Yeah, that he dude was. Sure, one of my top three or four, maybe, as far as at least just hip hop lyricists. So, I don't know. Just, I don't know. He's just fucking great, bro. Yeah, he had different style, different lyrics, different. Dude, it was just everything Lazy about flow. him was. It was his own thing. It took me a couple listens because, like, I again, I, I mentioned it. I'm a big Ultra Magnetic fan. Cool Keith, he's this wild, crazy guy. Following along him and, and going in forums and shit back in the day, people always talk about this Doom cat, like this up and coming guy. Doom, he's fucking phenomenal, bro. You like him if you like like Cool Keith. I'm telling you, like, oh, all right, you know, whatever. I'll check it out sometime. Took me a while to check him out but dug in when or when i did i fucking it was just like eh, i don't know dude this guy's style he's kind of lazy it sounds like he's offbeat you know i don't know what's happening here mm-hmm. but by like the second third listen 
you pick up different shit you didn't pick up the first time and it's like oh he really grows on you fast and you get it you kind of just like get the style you're like oh okay all right all right and god the way he fucking delivers it's just phenomenal is the way his mind works it's just crazy yeah or works i still think he's alive i'm holding chilling dude I'm holding on. seven pina coladas fuck yeah gotta be he deserves <laughs> it he deserves it i think you could tell he's getting sick of the industry um and then uh real quick i want to go through all these i feel like i'm taking too much time here but black moon entered the stage classic fucking album october 1993 that came out um uh, ghostface killers iron man his first solo album out of uh wu-tang that's fucking phenomenal classic yeah. It was uh, October 18th, 1996. Uh, Bun B. I'm not as. I don't know about Bun B. Me either. I don't know about Bun B. All right, well. How much? They put him on here, so I'm guessing it's yeah. somewhat uh, notable, but Bun B, for all the Bun, bun Heads out there, they call them Bun Heads. <laughs> uh, solo album came out, Trill, October 18th, 2005. Yeah. Enough respect to the B. Do the. I'm going to cherry pick uh, one more of these facts off of this. Yeah, all right, yeah, just, yeah go ahead. So, because um, we could read all these, honestly. <laughs> no, but, I think uh, I'm going too far. I'll probably cut for, some of these out. I, I, this one I do want to talk about. Um, so, in this week, uh, October 17th, um, 1961, Scene was born, and he was one of the major pioneers of the New York graffiti scene. Uh, see, I don't know Scene either. Hold on. I think I so saw he was. I think, right, uh, he was. He was a big uh, train bomber. So like uh, the ah, subway. Okay. He was a part of that whole subway uh, takeover, pretty much. Oh, I love it! Sneaking to the train yards at night. And yes. Hanging up so you can he, he was a, your work. He was a huge, huge uh, graffiti guy. Like one of they consider him one of the best ever. Oh, yeah. So awesome. he right, he right. was like really the one of the guys that started the the whole New York City subway system um, graffiti scene in 1973. So. So he was 12 years old, dude, out there bombing trains in New York. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and I'm just looking through Google Images shit. Oh, it's actually absolutely fantastic. And that's exactly the style that the rest of hip-hop sort of emulated along. And he, damn, he has a lot of different styles, too. Mm-hmm. Scene, this dude scene, had some letters, scene, man. Scene. Was he in any tagging group, do you know? Um, Was it just him? No, nah, he definitely had this a crew. I forget shit. the name of it, though. Yeah, I forget the name oh, of his crew. <laughs> Yo, that shit's wild. Yo, this guy's wild as fuck. This is some good shit. Artists, man. I love it. That's art. It's beautiful art. United mm-hmm. Artists was the name of his, of his oh, crew. Oh, wow. That sounds like official. Right? I wonder if the United... Isn't that the name of a theater? Movie theater company? Or Yeah. I think so. United Artists uh, Pictures? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's referred to as the Godfather of Graffiti. Holy Ooh, shit! Okay, so this is this is that dude. This is the dude. This yeah. is the graffiti head. <laughs> this, this is, is that dude. He's he started one of the pillars. Yeah, he's holding. Oh, that he was pillar in, he up. was included in Style Wars, bro. Was he? Yep. I gotta so, see this. So yep. all right, <laughs> that's dope. Everybody, check out Style Sick. Wars. We'll we'll have a watch party. Maybe that would be dope. 
Nice. Cool. That's a good little nugget of history right there. That was, that was beautiful, bro. That was fucking beautiful. Fine. All right. We'll leave you with that then. As we uh, dip out of the mid-80s here, check us out next episode as we go 86 and beyond because things are starting to heat up in hip-hop. All right, bro. That's all I got. Peace out, man. Peace, Peace out. What I feel, you know the deal. Yo, you feel what I feel, you know the deal. Yo, you feel what I feel, you know the deal. Yo, you feel what I feel, you know the deal. I define my rhyme styles as real When I walk the streets I see mad tripe shit I say what I feel The cold stairs, the blue steel The drug deals, it's cash pill In a sick bystanders better kneel And pray to God, prepare for hard times In rhyme form, starts when you're first born Or before that if your mom's a dope fiend, then you got dope fiend jeans, not guest Tommy Hill, polo material. But the jeans in your bloodstream is critical. Pregnant women smoke crack vac. It's fucking pitiful. Just when I thought nothing could shock me, Daily News front page, baby dumped in a porta potty. Oh my god, somebody stopped me. Too much pain from my ballpoint pen makes it rain again. Listen, young bucks on a mission, still pissing in his bed, ready to crack somebody's head open. On the corner selling dope, cause he can't cope with being broke. Change the scope with my mental remote. Other young bucks, street struck, the self destruct type, the smoke pipe type, the hype type. So I wrote it on my typewriter, my ballpoint pen died, homicide from the lead, number two to his head, my offbeat style is real though, serial, killer kill you, now he's a fucking hero, probably played in a movie by De Niro, De Niro clocked the narrows off the serial killer, the hero, but it goes back to ancient history, when white mans killed Indians, left them in misery, and the Romans killed Greeks, the corrupt cop killed non-stop, I hope my son see peace, but shit gets worse, hope decrease, another young brother deceased, somewhere where the west meets east, white devils wearing white sheets meet and have a pork feast, so I release the beast, and the thoughts wrote down on white sheets of loose leaf. You feel what I feel, you know the deal. You feel what I feel, you know the deal. You feel what I feel, you know the deal. Feel what I feel, you know the deal. I'm getting ready to shoot somebody here, goddammit. I'm gonna shoot him all fucking day. Get it done. You push my button. There's no telling what I may do. Stab you, choke you, bite you. I mean, whatever it takes to make a motherfucker stop existing, I would do that. I wish this phone was shot. I stab a nigga right now. I bit one motherfucker to death. You wanna fuck with us? Nah, you don't really wanna fuck with us. You don't, you don't really wanna fuck with us, okay? But uh, nah, that was uh, that was my brother. That jam right there, um, Ilroy, ripping it up on the mic, and uh, he produced the beat to put the beat together on the uh, SP eight hundred eight. She used to toy around with that track is from like uh, it's got to be like two thousand two thousand one maybe is when he put that track together. 
Uh, he was with the group SJP back then, Smoking Joint Productions. And um, I don't know. I'll, be, I'll definitely be playing some more of uh, my brother's shit at the end of some of these episodes because uh, he has some really good songs out there. That's just one of my favorites. I, I just love the little uh, life uh, samples he throws in there. It's from the movie Life with Martin Lawrence and uh, Eddie Murphy. Hilarious movie, by the way. Up a room. But, um, I don't know, so check out the movie, check out my brother, check me out, check us out, yo, we chillin', hip-hop history 101, alright, over and out, <laughs> peace out.